Welcome to the to the Bishop Strickland Show. Terry Barber here. I always get excited doing this show once a week with the good bishop to talk about how to fall in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Bishop Strickland, thanks again for doing the same thing. Thanks, Terry. Yep. If, uh, bishop, we were talking off the air about Humana Vitae that was done 55 years ago by St. Pope Paul VI. And it's just amazing. We were just kids when this went out. And I didn't have any idea what was going on at that time when it came out. But boy, he was prophetic in his pro- four prophecies regarding this teaching that they, it's called a perennial teachings of the church. This is something that can't change. Uh, but I wanted to ask you uh, you tweeted about it, you sent me a document on this topic. Uh, give us your take. Why are you bringing it up? Is it because yesterday was the anniversary? Well, that's one of the reasons, and it, as you said, it's a perennial teaching, mm-hmm. so it's something, even um, as we know, it was very much attacked, pretty much ignored by the world uh, back in 1968, 55 years ago when it was first published, but it was true then, it was true in the time of Christ, it's true now, yeah. um, and it, it really is the root of a lot of what's broken as St. John of Pope Paul VI really nails it with what he talks about. I think it's in uh, number eight of the document. It's a short document. Yeah. If anybody's listening that's never read Humanae Vitae, I recommend reading it. It's yeah. short. It says some very important things. There's nothing dated about it. It's pertinent for right now. And the predictions that Paul VI makes are just, we've seen it happen. Astounding. Infidelity and moral decline. Big time. Loss of respect for women. Yep. Abuse of power. Yep. And unlimited dominion. Well, let's Uh, let's get into these because I think it's worth even describing, if you don't mind, because I think people need to see how prophetic this man was. Yeah, I do. I agree. Do it. So, so you want to read what Pope, he noted that widespread, like you said, use of contraception would lead to conjugal infidelity. That's happening. General lowering of morality. That's happened. That there has been widespread decline in morality, especially sexual morality in the last, he says, 25, we call 55 years. It's yeah. difficult to deny that. The increase in the number of divorces, big time. Abortions, out of wedlock pregnancies, the statistics are there. Venereal diseases, we have... We have three. We have three hundred and fifty million people in America, and we have one hundred ninety million with uh, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. We're out of control. Pope Paul VI nailed it. He said, "There's no question that contraception is behind much of our trouble." Bishop Strickland, you've taught this before that the Catholic Church has the answer to the sexual revolution that's going on. That if we follow God's plan, much of what we've been dealing with goes away. Absolutely. I mean, it's it really is elementary. Yeah. Just a basic elementary education Mm -hmm. that what is our sexuality for? It's for marriage between a man and a woman only for life. Open to children. I mean, even first graders can understand all that. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, they really can. Yeah. And we're we think we're so smart and so sophisticated and we're losing it. And all of this transgender stuff and all the 
how do we identify today? And maybe it's different than tomorrow. It's all just, I mean, it goes beyond even what Paul VI predicted, but his predictions have all come true in devastating ways in, in society, really throughout the world, and certainly in this nation. Wow. And I love what he's had to say because women, the dignity of women uh, has really gone down. He argued that man will lose respect for women and no longer care for her physical and psychological equilibrium and will come to a point of considering her as a mere instrument of selfish enjoyment and no longer as respected and beloved companion. That's exactly what happened with contraception. And that's exactly why so many divorces came because Basically, men said, hey, you know what? I can use my wife and you know what? I can actually have, you know, commit adultery. And because I'm using contraception, hey, no one will know except God, of course. The point is that it's undermined the commitment to marriage and family. And as St. John Paul II said, the way the family goes is the way the culture goes. Yeah, absolutely. And the the human trafficking that is in the news now with this movie that thankfully— People are watching yep. this, the sound of freedom. Yep. What is human trafficking? It traces back to those same issues that women and children are not respected. They're just seen as more instruments of pleasure for evil men. And, and you know what was interesting, too? Pope Paul VI said that widespread acceptance of contraception would place a dangerous weapon in the hands of those public authorities who take no heed of moral exigence, the history of the family planning programs in third world, you know, they basically would, would sterilize people. We heard about this in Africa and other developed countries without them even having knowledge what they're doing. And this is basically treating them as a commodity and not as a person. Absolutely. Wow. What about this unlimited dominion? What's that all about? Well, I think it's talking about that, that the government starts to interfere Mm -hmm. in families because families are a wreck. And so the government takes over. And, you know, like they say, we're from the government. We're here to help. It doesn't work (laughs) whenever they say that. Yeah. Ronald Reagan's famous line is that's that's scary. When the government says we're here to help, run. But that's a funny line. But, you know, it's so true. So the bottom line, Bishop Strickland, I think if people opened up the catechism of the Catholic Church under marriage, it makes it really clear the purpose of marriage. You nailed it earlier in the conversation. But I would really recommend that people would even open up the catechism of the Catholic Church on the the segment of marriage, the sacrament of marriage, and read that. It doesn't take a long time, but it really keeps you focused. And one thing I'm going to say, and I'll turn it right back, and that is, we married couples, we need to renew our love for our wives or our husbands on a regular basis because Bishop Sheen said it in his, world, in his book, Three to Get Married, that our love will not last because we're tough guys. Our love will last because we have the power to renew it. And I would encourage all men, including myself, to renew those vows to their spouses. Absolutely. Now, Bishop Strickland... They, uh, let's shift to your your uh, tweets that you sent out. I I've really got uh, I, I love whenever you tweet uh, Cardinal Seurat, and here's one that you uh, you did that I thought was apropos because we all want unity. You know what is unity in the church? Well, you quoted this that Cardinal Seurat said unity church unity must be built around the truth 
of the Catholic doctrine and the moral teachings of the church. And then he says, there are no other ways. It can't get any simpler. I, I, you know, you've said something very similar over the years here. I love what he yeah. just said. Yeah, and well, that what he says to me traces back to you don't have unity without Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the principle of unity in everything that he's taught us. Yeah. And when you start saying, oh, we can change this teaching and that teaching, that's where the disunity comes from. Right. And I was thinking today, sadly, the, the church is probably more fragmented than it has been in a very long time. I agree. Because, I mean, there are people that agree with that but don't agree with this. I mean, it's just the unity is a wreck yeah. because— We've forgotten that the only principle of unity is Jesus Christ, Amen. his teachings, and everything that the church is. The church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. That oneness is in Jesus Christ. Well said, and I, I would say this. One of your tweets really fired me up to keep my perspective that life is short and eternity is forever. Sometimes we can get a little flustered by some of the craziness in the church. I know I do. I mean, I see things and I go, what? Can you imagine what this guy just said? He needs prayer. But here's what you said. Glory wins when we are confused, disheartened, betrayed. Remember, glory wins. Yep. When the truth is attacked and twisted, even by those who promise to guard it, when a false gospel is pushed down our throats, remember glory wins. <clears throat> when, cor when corruptors are promoted, remember glory wins. Well, I relate to that in every little section of that statement because I think of the injustice going on even inside the church right now when people have a right to the fullness of the church teachings and we see <clears throat> much compromise. And... Um, so that keeps me focused on Jesus Christ. Right here, I'm holding that crucifix. That's who we're focusing on, not on prelates, priests, or anyone else in the church, because men will always let us down, but Jesus Christ will never let us down. Yeah, and that, that really came from, as you said, as you predicted. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It came from prayer. Oh, yeah. And it came from praying the glorious mysteries. Glorious. It just occurred to me that we live in a world where glory has won. Mm -hmm. The glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, the light from his resurrection, is undimmed. We have the free choice to reject it, to ignore it. But that light is still there. Wow. And thankfully, many are discovering it and many are holding fast to the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the prize. <laughs> Jesus Christ to heaven. Life is short. Eternity is forever. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. When we come back, Bishop Strickland is quoting Pope Benedict XVI in regards to uh, some of the attacks in the church. Stay with us. Now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. I made a little teaser about Pope Benedict XVI. He had a lot of things that he said in his lifetime that seemed to be so accurate. I just loved his teachings on 
uh, on the ecclesiology of the church and just how he saw the church. Uh, but Pope Benedict XVI, you quoted, he said, the greatest attacks on the church come from within, the passion of the church. Bishop Strickland, wouldn't that make sense when you think about how can you have a betrayal if you didn't have trust? See, we have trust in the church. And when we see people like Cardinal McCarrick and people like that who have who betrayed us with their trust and did, did horrible things, uh, it is an attack on the church. And I, I don't know if that's historically accurate, but it seems like that statement makes sense, especially for us today. Yeah, I think you're right. And we see a, a lot of evidence. It's um, And it, I guess if you look through history, I mean, Martin Luther was a priest. That's right. That attack came from within. Yep. Um, it, it's interesting that, you know, certainly we have a lot of people that have left the church through the through the centuries. Yeah. But um, they they tend to it. It seems I don't have all the answers, but I think it is accurate that very often the attacks come from within. Yeah. Those attacking may eventually leave, but they do a lot of damage before they leave. Instead of just saying, I don't believe this and leaving for whatever reasons, um, they tend to stay around long enough to do a lot of damage. And then usually they finally leave because the truth doesn't change. Right. I mean, all of this, all of this is going on now is, um, the truth doesn't change. I just saw, I think it was today that, um, you know, the, the Vatican is, is finally saying something to the German bishops. And I think there's some kind of meeting happening. Um, but you know, it's taken a while, Yeah. but, and what's ironic is it seems like the, the, um, instrumentum laboris for the Senate was taken out of the playbook for the German oh, yeah. synodal movement. Um, but thankfully, they're being asked some questions. I don't know if anything will come of it, but uh, it needs to. Yeah. And people talk about schism in the church. That word has been buzzing around a lot. And what we have to remember that to be schismatic is to, to turn from the teaching of Christ. Yep. From the deposit of faith, right. from the ancient magisterial teachings of the church, from the catechism. Right. That's what schism is. And, you know, in modern terms, it's like, oh, you're being schismatic if you protest those who are speaking against the deposit of faith. Yeah. That's not schismatic. That's a, you know, that's not understanding what schism is. Schism is about dividing from the truth that the church proclaims. Right. Hanging on to that truth, people can claim it's schismatic, but it's not. Right. And the the good thing that we know is what truly is schismatic will fade away. Yeah. Will fall by the wayside ultimately. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are many uh, people that are have been raised, I mean, here we are five hundred years into the the Protestant Reformation. Right. Um, many people, through no fault of their own, know little of the Catholic Church. Um, I have a, a good 
friend. I, I don't know him well, but we know each other well in the faith. Yes. Joshua Charles, you may have seen some of his tweets. Um, but he's a very learned young man. He converted from, I don't even know what Protestant religion he was, mm -hmm. but he's a very strong Catholic. And he talks about how the truth captivated him, really, even before he knew anything about the Catholic Church, he began to see the truth that he finally found in the Catholic Church, and he saw that he couldn't hang on to his Protestant faith because it wasn't rooted in the truth. Um, so the truth prevails, yeah. glory wins, yep. and that's what we just have to keep reminding people, because I know it's a difficult time, and a lot of people... I'm concerned that aren't strong in faith, that aren't well catechized, right. are going to either go with the false teachings or they're going to abandon faith at all. Yes. And sadly, I think that's probably, I mean, I, I don't know that we've talked about it that much, but for years, I know we both heard the second largest denomination in our nation of is fallen away Catholic. The fact. And sadly, that may become the largest yeah. before long. The largest group right. of human beings is those who don't believe anything. Yeah. And that doesn't mean the truth has somehow fallen by the wayside. But sadly, people are turning away from the truth and being encouraged to turn away from the truth. Then they walk down a path where they just say, forget all of it. Yeah. Because leading them down a false gospel doesn't take them more deeply into the truth. It takes them to a, a more fractured life that ultimately leaves them wondering, is there any truth at all? We know there is, and it's Jesus Christ as truth incarnate. That's what we've got to, like we say all the time, Terry, with clarity and charity, share the truth, share Jesus Christ, and allow people to know that all these false teachings, oh, we're going to change this, we're going to change that, we're going to redefine marriage. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to redefine marriage. You can pretend you are, but it's not going to work because anything that is a false definition of marriage begins to collapse yep. very quickly. Yep. Well said, and I, I think we constantly talk about you know the pro-life side of you know, how many women have committed abortion not really knowing that this was a baby. I mean, I talked to lots of women, and it's because they haven't been taught. And this is something that we need to uh, communicate. We do every every week, the pro-life side. But Bishop Strickland, off the air, we were talking about a book that you were reading, and it's really a book about Adam and Eve and about the priesthood. Uh, I think his name is Bergsma. He's the author from uh, Steubenville. Can you give us uh, the title? Oh, there it is. Uh, the title, I don't know if you can see it. Jesus, the Old Testament Roots of the Priesthood. Published, does it say it's published by Steubenville, or who is it published by? Um, doesn't say anything on the back? Okay. Uh, well, if you type uh, in that title. Tell Emmaus Road. Emmaus, okay, that's Scott Hahn's publication. Yeah, they're, they're real tight. Those guys like Brent Petrie, Dr. Michael Barber, they're all birds of the feather. Young um, guys that are biblical scholars. What What's the gist of the book, Father Bishop Strickland? Well, and Dr. Bergsma is a convert himself. Right, right. 
And he talks in the introduction to the book. I just started reading it. It's a very short book. It's probably, what is it? Um, just 160 pages. That's um, but the, the message is, the title, I think, tells you, Jesus and the Old Testament Roots of the Priesthood. And he begins literally with Adam. Yeah. And what what really captivated me that I mentioned to you yes. when we keep talking about guarding the deposit of faith. Right. And I'm so glad that different lay groups like yourself, mm -hmm. um, and I know you've talked to other people in other parts of the country that are saying, let's as laity, yeah. let's guard the deposit of faith ourselves. Yes. I mean, it's part of my promises as a bishop. As we've talked about before, yep. when a pastor is installed as pastor of a church, that's a significant canonical role that a priest has. He's not just the priest filling in, taking care of things. When he is installed as pastor, that's significant. And he makes promises as well. And when a, a pastor is installed as the pastor, he promises to guard the deposit of faith as well. And what Dr. Bergsma's book uh, begins with is starting with Adam and Eve. He says that the translation that typically is that Adam is told to till the soil and he says to guard the garden is a better translation than tilling the soil. I mean, it, you know, and he acknowledges that it makes sense for the translators because it's a garden. I mean, to till and care for the garden, but to guard the garden, I think to me, it just, it really, the light bulb went off with guarding the deposit of faith. What is the fall of Adam and Eve? What is the sin? And it, I think it really emphasizes, and a lot of people in the world don't like it, but again, it goes back to the distinct roles of men and women that are ordained by God the beautiful roles, not one better than the other, but the complementarity that's necessary in humanity and in marriage between man and woman. And uh, But what Dr. Bergsma talks about in the very beginning of this book is Adam failed to guard the garden. Mm -hmm. He was charged with guarding the garden, and he failed. Right. He didn't. He didn't make sure Eve stayed away from the serpent and instead gave in to the serpent. And I'm sure as I read the rest of it, I will get more of that information. But it really struck me that as a bishop, I'm supposed to guard right. the, the, the household of the church, you could say. Yep. To guard it against falsehood, to guard it against attacks of evil, to guard it against sin. Um you as a father of a family, you're supposed to guard your home to make those decisions as the man of the house, as dad, as husband, yep. to make sure. And we're not talking about just physical guarding. Probably the most important guarding is to make sure that evil doesn't enter the home through Internet, yeah. through books, right. through all the, the conduits, television, um, all the ways that evil does enter the home. I mean, it's a tough job these days to be a loving, respectful father in the home, guarding the home against evil. 
it's a tough job as a bishop. It's a tough job to just be a man in the world with that role of, like Adam, guarding against evil, guarding against false messages, guarding against anything that will harm the, the family or the parish or the diocese that we're charged with guarding. Well said. When we come back, Bishop Strickland, there's a book by Father Don Calloway that you are endorsing in a tweet. I actually have the book here in my hands. I've read it, The Chaste Heart of St. Joseph. I have Father Don Calloway coming on August 4th on the Terry and Jesse show to talk about this very book. And we can chat a little bit when we come back about you know, the Eat the Super St. Joseph in a new comic book by Father Calloway, the Holy Family Head, is here. And, man, the graphics are good. I mean, I was inspired. I'm reading this to my grandchild. Uh, this is uh, good stuff. And I think Father Calloway has a gift of communicating the saints. So stay with us. We'll talk more about that when we come back. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. We're talking about a book by Father, J Father Don Calloway, The Chaste Heart of St. Joseph. And I love the quote that he said in this book on page 61. He says, Be in good spirits under the fatherly mantle of St. Joseph, a place of safest refuge in trials and tribulations. Is that not our situation? This was St. Joseph Marlowe who said that. He has quotes from the fathers of the church in this book, from St. John Paul II, Pope Leo XIII. And what I like about the book is it's Father, it's Father Calloway is like teaching the life of St. Joseph to these kids, and the kids are asking these great questions about St. Joseph. So I, I assume the reason you promoted this because you have a great devotion to St. Joseph also, St. Joseph Strickland. <laughs> Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, and I just love the idea. I mean, superheroes. Yeah. I remember as a kid, we oh, yeah. probably both remember sure. Batman and yeah. Superman and all of that. I mean, that was even when we were kids. Absolutely. And it's natural for kids to look for heroes. Yeah. Um, so to, to recognize the saints, I mean, they're the greatest heroes of all. Yeah. And that's why I... I saw that, and I, I wanted to retweet it to encourage people to to use that for their kids, to make them excited about their saints, uh, whether it's their saint's name or their favorite saint, or then they get older, their confirmation saint, to, to learn about these people. I mean, yeah. they're just tremendous stories. Oh, yeah. There's such a variety. There's such a yeah. inspiration. Some of them went through all sorts of challenges. Yep. Um, I mean, each story is different. Some of them had very quiet lives, but very saintly lives. Others had lives that would make a great adventure movie. Um, but they really are the, the heroes of humanity that we need to highlight, especially in this time. I mean, I ask the saints for their intercession all the time. I mean, the apostles, the queen of saints, the blessed Virgin Mary, I mean, they're the superstars. They're the, the action heroes of humanity, if we really understand what that's all about. Well said. So you can get that book from the Marian Fathers that Father Calloway is a member of. Uh, Bishop Strickland, 
This is a statement again from Cardinal Seurat that you sent out, and I and I'm just going to be really blunt about it. I love what he said about Eucharistic adoration. He says the men and women who pray in silence in the night and in solitude are the supporting pillars of Christ's church. Now you can pray at home, obviously, but praying before the Blessed Sacrament is such a gift to us in the church. And there are some knuckleheads, and I use the word affectionately, in the church who somehow think that it's a waste of time. I've heard this for 40 or 50 years of my life. People dressed like you saying that. I'm thinking, what do they believe if they think it's a waste of time being in the presence of Christ? This is the age we're in. So I really appreciate Cardinal Seurat setting the, the record straight because the church teaches that prayer is essential in anyone's life. Absolutely, Terry. And I think another thing that is, I think probably, I mean, to say that it's a waste of time is just an indication that you don't believe that the Lord of the universe is truly present, which he is. But uh, another comment that I hear that I think is, I think is well-intentioned and a bit more understandable, but I still disagree with. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, well, we don't want it to distract from the Mass. Oh, I've heard that too. I can testify that my love for the Mass has only grown as I've spent time with our Lord in His Eucharistic presence. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, I was there just this morning as yeah. I try to be every day, yeah. at least for you know, a good chunk of time, yeah. as much time as I can. Yep. And it occurred to because I have some some beautiful images of Christ. And it really occurred to me in my prayer this morning. It it, it it's like, I mean, you were you and your wife. Yes. You're not gonna gaze at a picture of her no. when she's sitting next to you on the couch. That's for sure. <laughs> and it just occurred to me, yes, and, and I know that after experience of, of prayer and the Eucharistic, before the Eucharistic face of our Lord, it's probably a bit easier for me to make this transition. But it, it just occurred to me in my own personal prayer, and I'm by myself in my little chapel in the, the house where I live, uh, or I'm at the chapel at the Chancery. Those are the main places where I pray Eucharistic adoration. Once a week and Fridays when I'm in town, at the cathedral early on Friday morning. But it just occurred to me that, you know, I don't need to look at the beautiful images of Christ. I need to look at him. Yes. <laughs> I need to look at his Eucharistic face yeah. and, and remind myself, we all need to deepen our faith and to constantly remind ourselves that we're looking at the great mystery of his body and blood, soul and divinity presence in the world, there in the monstrance, when we're at Mass. That's why a lot of people express their appreciation for it. I'm sure that people say, oh, you know, the bishop just takes too long at the consecration. <laughs> but I I feel like I, I have to. Yes. For myself, but also for the people. I mean, here we are. The Lord of the universe has just come into our, our midst. And and let me emphasize that 
No, we shouldn't just say, oh, well, the Mass is just the moment of consecration and then everything after. The whole Mass is leading up to and then celebrating the presence of our Eucharistic Lord. The Word of God is essential to that because He is the Word. He's the Word incarnate. So I want to emphasize that Eucharistic adoration really does allow us and encourage us and support our appreciation for every moment of the Mass from the beginning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to the final blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I encourage myself and I encourage all of us to develop a deeper faith that during that whole beautiful liturgy, whether it's in Latin or English, whether it's ad orientum or versus pompum, as they say, to me, if we're focused on Christ, yep. we're getting it because it's an encounter with him from that first greeting to the to the final blessing of the priest, or in my case, the bishop. And again, Terry, what that emphasizes, that's why we need to be reverent, because we're either leading up to his presence or celebrating his presence yeah. during the whole Mass, yep. or giving thanks for those of us who have been able to receive his body and blood, soul and divinity into our body and blood, soul and humanity. I mean, we've got to see the Mass in its entirety as an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the more we do that, the more powerful His presence in it is in our lives, the more we know the truth that we are willing to embrace and turn away from sin and truth that we're willing to die for like the martyrs. But the Eucharistic presence of the Lord can do all of that for us. I've experienced it. Amen. And Bishop Strickland, isn't it true? I saw the statistics of vocations to the priesthood. Many of our men tell us statistically that it was before the Blessed Sacrament that they really felt the call to the priesthood. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And Terry, I can testify to that myself. Good. Eucharistic adoration was not something that was, I never experienced it as a kid. Wow. I, mean, I did experience benediction, yeah. but usually it wasn't a prolonged time of adoration. Um, but I did experience, and I, I count part of my vocation, the nurturing of my yeah. vocation, was when I was a kid in probably er, as early as junior high, yeah. I would go to the church and pray. Wow. With not not adoration, with our Lord in the tabernacle. He's there. Yes. Absolutely. His his sacred presence is there. I find it nurturing and it, it makes me able to focus in prayer more with Eucharistic adoration. But I would encourage people if you want to really develop a deeper faith Go pray in the presence of the Lord, his presence in the tabernacle, the blessed sacrament, body and blood, soul and divinity. If adoration is not available, just go pray before the tabernacle. And and I've had people and I, I think back to, you know, during the time of the pandemic, I saw images of people 
outside of the church because they couldn't get in, but they knew the Lord was there. Yes. I even talked about that with people that, you know, in that challenging time, even then we can look for creative ways to deepen our faith. And I remember having a conversation with someone that think of the church as a tabernacle. Yes. If it's locked, he's still there. That's right. And, and I've heard stories and I've experienced it myself because sometimes churches are locked. Yes. But you can still kneel there. That's right. At the front door. Yep. And, and know in your imagination, I mean, you're not imagining it, but there. since you can't see him, yep. just remind yourself that he's there in the tabernacle and spend some time in prayer. That's why I've encouraged people in a lot of these practices they used to be the norm, but we need to encourage people again. When you drive past a Catholic church, make the sign of the cross. Make a little prayer that reminds you that you're driving past a building that is really a tabernacle. Yep. What are churches for? They're the house of God. And a Catholic church that has a tabernacle, you can consider the whole building as a tabernacle. Certainly, to me, the ultimate is to receive him in communion. Then next is Eucharistic adoration. But if you can't do either of those, go pray in front of the church door, knowing it's their tabernacle. Amen. Source and summit of the Christian life, the Holy Eucharist. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back indeed. Before we get into the catechism, I couldn't let this one quote go by because it's just a, a tragedy what's happening in our culture for the last, you know, 50, 60 years uh, regarding the sacredness of life, regarding the baby. And Pope Benedict XVI back in 07 just reminded us something fundamental, and you tweeted at Bishop Strickland saying that the direct destruction of an innocent human life can never be justified, however difficult the circumstances that may lead some to consider taking such a grave step. And he tells us, pleads with us, we must hold fast to this truth regarding the atrocity of abortion. I thought that advice was so apropos, Bishop Strickland, because even inside the church, I hear People saying, well, we really have to lighten up on this idea that abortion is always wrong. And I ask myself, where in the world did you come up with that idea? I mean, my point to you is it seems to me that we continually need to be defending life from the moment of conception to natural death. Absolutely, Terry. And, and what's troubling to me, you, you've mentioned a couple of times personnel is policy. Yes. I think that's so true. Yeah. And there are too many personnel being welcomed in the Vatican yeah. who are notorious no, for promoting abortion. Scandal. That has to stop. That simply has to stop. I don't, you know, I don't claim to know all the reasons, but there's not a good one. No. There's not a good reason that someone who is adamantly pro-abortion is in some Vatican position. Is There's just no good reason for it. Um, it it'd be like, you know, Having President Biden, who is, seems to gleefully 
promote abortion. I mean, it's like it's his testament is to to promote the the killing of the unborn. Um, thankfully, Pope Francis has been very clear that it's murder. Absolutely. But it'd be like welcoming Pope Biden to some pro-life commission for the church. Yeah. Pro- President Biden cannot be in. I mean, it's it's contradictory. It is. And the personnel do create policy. Yeah. So I think we need to be very concerned about people that are working in the Vatican that are undermining what the church teaches. Well, that's why we're praying prayers of reparation for them specifically, that they will come to see the light of the truth of the gospel of life, because obviously they don't. So that's where we come in as lay people. We can make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church. It's called reparation, expiation. So we're going to do that. Bishop Strickland, you have a catechism, and I've been promoting this for years, uh, from the St. Philip Institute called The Way of Christ. I have a student book, and we've been going through this book a little at a time. And I say this because, you know, it's so important that Catholics know the fundamentals of their faith. And we've seen it over my lifetime and your lifetime. We're similar ages. We've seen the lack of catechesis inside the church where people come and they become an adult and they know all about worldly things, educated, but they don't know the basics on the faith. So that's why I appreciate you making the suggestion. Let's, let's talk about the catechism every week and inform people these beautiful teachings. So we're on chapter 8 right now, number 3 question. This is And what I like about it is still you've got a section of the big catechism of the Catholic Church referencing paragraphs that we're going to be talking about. So if you want to go deeper, you can go deeper. So here it is. What images express what the church is? It says this, the church is the people of God. The first chosen people of God were Israel. After Christ, all are able to become God's children, people by what? By entering the church through baptism. Now the church is the mystical body of Christ. We are all united in one church by the Holy Spirit, the soul of the body that is the church. Jesus is the head, and we make up the body. I like this because in this last part about the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's really clear. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in the hearts of the faithful, so together we are the home or the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what we call uh, the supernatural look on what the church is. Now, we have the, we have the human aspect. We have that in guys like you and other people like myself, that's the human element. But really, I like this expression of what the church really is. Yeah, beautiful, as always, with the catechism. And what comes to mind uh, is living stones. Ah, And and I think that what's important is that we all recognize, yeah, I'm a bishop, but ultimately— our, my greatest claim yeah. is that I'm one of the baptized. Amen. That's the most basic. Yep. And each baptized person is a living stone of the church. Wow. And if we remember that, then it's up to me, it's up to you, it's up yeah. to every individual. Going back to that principle of subsidiarity, yeah. which I think is one of the critical principles in, in the church 
and in in humanity today that's been lost, we've lost sight of it. Instead of recognizing the the ultimate cell of the church, you can say, is each baptized person. Yeah. And the church is as strong as the collective, the collection of individual living stones yes. that each person is. The stronger, the holier I am, the more I've turned from sin and embraced the gospel, the more I'm living in sanctifying grace, the stronger stone I am for the church. And when you start multiplying that by the members of a congregation, the members of a family, um, that's where our strength is. Each person recognizing we have the most glorious call of all yep. to be children of God. That's for all of us. I mean, people say, oh, bishop or cardinal or those are service calls. Just like ultimately your call as a father and a husband Absolutely. is to serve immediately to serve your wife and your children. Amen. And to guard the family like we were talking about and foster a family that goes out in service to others and recognizing that serving others is our greatest joy. And it's the call that we share. Imagine if all of us, all the people in the world suddenly decided to start doing that. Wow. Look at all the issues that would fall by the wayside. Look at all the problems that would be, I mean, it's like, oh, that's utopia, that's unrealistic. But it's what Christ calls us to. If we just pay attention, we all fail. It's never going to be heaven on earth. But we are called to build the church one living stone at a time. And it's doable. The people converting, I was just during the break, I saw uh, a Catholic priest talking about how he was a convert to the Catholic faith. And as a teenager, he would go to Eucharistic adoration. And his mother, who wasn't Catholic, wasn't even thinking about becoming Catholic, took him to adoration. Little did he know that she would quietly go on her own when he wasn't going. Wow. He's a Catholic. Wow. And that's what living stones do. Mm. We inspire each other. Here's a son inspiring his mother to embrace her life in Jesus Christ. That's what we're all called to. And it's a joyful message. That's what we need to remember. Being a living stone of the church is the most joyful call that any human can have. Yeah. Bishop Strickland, you remind me of a beautiful testimony out of Phoenix. I've, I've interviewed the uh, young boy. He's about eight years old. And when he was in first grade, the teacher invited the school to make Eucharistic adoration. And when he found out about Jesus in the Eucharist, he asked his mommy and daddy to, if he could go see Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament at the church. Well, mom said fine, but dad wasn't practicing his faith. And then they started going to Eucharistic adoration as a family because the little boy led them to the Eucharist. They prayed the daily the, the rosary, mom and dad, mom and the little boy, 
And then the little boy said, Daddy, do you know how to pray the rosary? And he was like, uh, Mom does. No. So he got Mom, Dad to pray the rosary, to visit once a week, special adoration to the Blessed Sacrament. And that brought Dad back to the Catholic faith, a little eight-year-old boy. So this mm -hmm. is why it's so important that we stay close to Jesus in the Eucharist. So I, I love that story, too. Bishop Strickland, I want to wait for the next question for the next week because it really is a big question. What is the mission of the church? And I think you need a little <laughs> time to, that's a, you know, what, do we, what does Bishop Sheen say? If souls are saved, nothing is saved. If souls are saved, everything is saved. And canon law in the last canon says that's the mission, you know, saving souls. Not so much, you know, recycling uh, my plastic bottle after I'm done drinking it. That's, that's kind of a worldly view. That's important to do. I get that. But uh, our energies are needing to be expressed in the salvation of souls. Bishop Strickland, one last thought I have for you. Many people have been praying for you. I know that you gave us an update last week regarding the, the uh, visitation from the Vatican. And um, I'm sure we just keep praying that things go well for the diocese and that uh, you stay, you know, centered on Christ. And I think that uh, the advice that you've given in your tweets is so beautiful because we all have a certain amount of, of, uh, of I would say, persecution, family life inside the church, and that your advice about staying our, keeping our eyes on Christ and realizing that, um, you know, this uh, life is short and that eternity is for forever. So I would like to ask you for a blessing, and if you have any thoughts about whatever else people can do for you and your diocese, let us know. Well, I would say praying the rosary especially awesome. because our Blessed Mother has asked us to pray the rosary. Mm -hmm. So the more rosaries we can pray, the better for me, the better Good. for this diocese, the better for every diocese and for every bishop. Amen. So pray the rosary would be my response. Awesome response. How about a blessing for, for our listeners, Bishop Strickland? Almighty God, we ask your blessing for all who are listening and participating in all the great programming of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, that we may all be better living stones of your church. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Strickland. Remember, everybody, you can go to vmpr.org, download any of the past shows with Bishop Strickland or any of the other shows that we produce here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thanks again for supporting us in this mission to teach with, with the clarity and charity. May God bless you, and we'll see you again next week. Same time, same station. God love you.